0: So we are um, going through the Apostles' Creed, and we are um, actually getting into one of the fun ones today, right? Like who who doesn't like to talk about the judgment, right? I've come to judge, and that He has come to judge the living and the dead, right? And so there's this one of those things that, um, in kind of my studying of the Apostles' Creed and and kind of diving into it and seeing how some other pastors and churches have kind of dissected it and preached it, there's a lot of times where this is just kind of thrown in as a sub-point of last week's message. But as I kind of studied it, there were some, some specific things that I wanted to, to highlight that I thought were important, and so I, I made it its own week. Um, that said, I'm not expecting it to be a very long message, but, which is I, okay. I don't want to hear any amens. All right, but 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 I think it's important that we talk about the the fact that we do believe it's fundamental to our faith that Jesus is going to come as the Judge, right? We we talked about it in our small group a little bit about the the lions and the lambs and and the separation of that, and the, and there's this sense that when we start talking about the judgment of God, that there's kind of an uneasiness that that begins to rise up. And I think it's because of, of how we think about judgment. But before we, we get there, I wanna talk about the first part of that phrase, that he will come. There's this second coming that we believe is foundation to our faith. Right? We talked about it last week. The same Jesus that ascended into heaven, the same Jesus that went there, is on the right hand of God. Will one day return? There's this rapture that, or there's the second coming, this end time, the apocalypse that we've heard about and we've talked about in our in our culture, and it can be really kind of muddy and complicated when people start talking about what it's actually going to look like. I mean, there's all these terms that are thrown out, whether it's a this millennium time where there's a thousand years that Revelation talks about, so is Jesus going to come before that or after that? Is he pre-mill, post-mill? Is it pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, mid-tribulation? There's all this disestablishmentarianism, all these big words, right, That that's thrown out when people start talking about the book of Revelation and the second coming of Jesus. I heard one pastor say that he is actually a pan-millennial, that however it pans out is what he believes is going to happen. Okay but so there's this sense of, of there's some confusion that's around it and the good news this morning is I'm not going to settle that confusion for you okay that's not the point of this message but what I do want to kind of highlight is that there's a very strong part of our culture that sees this the end time being marked by the rapture, right? Where all the people who believe in Jesus are gonna just disappear. There's gonna be car accidents. There's gonna be clothes left on the ground, right? We've all seen the movie. This is very popular from the Left Behind series books, right? I can remember one time I was at home as a little kid and I woke up and I woke up and I walked into the, the living room from a nap and there was nobody there. And, and my, I had been heard or taught or somewhere learned that there's, the rapture's going to happen and all the people that are following Jesus are going to be gone and that everybody else is going to be left and they're going to be thirsty. There's not going to be any more water. There's nothing going to be to drink. And so I walk out and nobody's in the house. And so I'm losing my mind. I'm like, oh no, I didn't make the rapture. I'm stuck here. The first thing I did was I ran to the sink and cut it on to make sure there was still water, right? There was a Coke sitting on the table and I went and I drank it just to make sure there was still liquid in there and I got And so I was like, okay, so it's not the rapture because there's, still water, what's going on? And the the family was just outside playing in the yard, right? But there's this sense of this rapture kind of fear theology that was kind of like, hey, you better live right, otherwise everybody's going to be gone and you're going to be left here. And I want to highlight that like it's okay to believe that there there is a scriptural argument for that theology of the end times, but I really fundamentally believe it's it's kind of hard to get there. Do you have to kind of take some scriptures out of context, and then add it to some other things. And so it's not the best way to think about the end times. I want to kind of highlight where it generally comes from, and that's 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 through 18. And I'm actually, this is going to be what we're kind of, our main text today. So I'm going to read verses 16 through chapter 5, verse 5. But it says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive are left and are left will be caught up together. That's where that rapture theology comes from. We'll be caught up together with him in the air, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should, not, so this day should surprise you like, the, like a thief. You are all children of the light and the children of the day. We do not belong to the night or in the darkness. So the main part of this, this theology, this rapture theology, is this caught up into heaven with the Lord, right? So it comes in and it's this triumphant entry where he, Jesus comes back down to the earth and as he's coming, there's the archangel, angel, there's the trumpets that call and, and it says the dead in Christ will rise, right? And we're gonna talk about that in the resurrection of the body, at the end of the era, but the dead will rise in their new bodies and then it says we who are still here will be caught up and we'll meet Jesus in the sky, we'll meet him in the clouds and so that's where this kind of base for this rapture theology comes from, but but I kind of want to explain this more with an illustration. I think it will help us kind of wrap our minds around it. Uh, when I was fresh out of high school in a car accident, um, I was rear-ended. I broke four of my lower vertebrae, and it caused me to be in this like brace thing for a long time. And my family had this beach trip playing to Myrtle Beach, right? But I couldn't ride in the car that long. So it was worked out that I didn't have to miss the, be- the vacation. I got to fly there, right? That It's actually the only time I've ever flown in an airplane, right? And it was, so I'm going and it was a lot less majestic than when Jesus comes back, like riding on the clouds and the, the white horse. Like, no, this was like a gum wrapper put in the sky <laughs> for this flight from Atlanta to Myrtle Beach. So it wasn't a long one. They didn't really care about us. And I'm sitting next to this lady, and I'm like trying to like make small talk, and she is either terrified or she hates me. And so it was really awkward. <laughs> okay, that was beside the point. But So I'm, I'm flying into Myrtle Beach, right? And as I'm, I'm coming into town, what does my family do? Right? they don't stay at the apartment they don't stay at the in the room or stay at the beach they come and they meet me at the airport to bring me back to where they are right and so there's this sense of if you've ever had somebody fly into town a guest or a visitor flies into town what do you do you go and you meet them at the airport and then you bring them back home. You bring them back. And so this, this part, this is, Paul is kind of illustrating what's going to happen. It's, it's, it's very custom. The, the readers at this time would know this because it's like as if a king was entering the city. Everybody comes out of their homes. They go out, out of the city to meet the king as he's coming in. So they're saying it's like all of us believers, all who are still alive, all the dead will be raised and we're going to meet our king and we're going to come back to earth with him. So there's not this sense of, of being raptured, going off into this imperial, floating on the cow, clouds with our uh, white robes and wings where we turn into angels that's not what have that's not heaven heaven is going to be here on earth it's the new heavens and new earth right so there's the sense of we're going to meet Jesus and come back it's a, it's it's a, not a disappearing and going off into this imperial place so when Jesus is going to come we are going to be with him it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and so we know that there's kind of a lot of confusion around that, but, but I want us to understand that there's this sense of, it's not the left behind theology, all right? It's not the left behind theology where if you're not living right, one day Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night and you're going to be stuck here, okay? So the, the, there's, it's a lot deeper than that, but I want to lay that foundation. What it is, though, it is a judgment day. The Bible is very clear about that, that that there is going to be a time where Jesus returns, and when he returns, there's going to be the separation of the sheep and goats. There's going to be judgment. Romans 14.10 says this, "'You then, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat.'" Everybody, nobody gets to miss out on that. When Jesus returns, we all stand before him as the judge, where he looks at our life, where he looks at the way we've lived, and he makes this judgment. There's the sense that he comes to judge the living and the dead. Nobody gets to dodge that, and we don't like that. Because we know, we know that judgment, it's, I mean, think about a time where you've been maybe before a judge. I got a ticket one time and I had to go in and I was going to try to talk them out of giving me the ticket and maybe reducing it. So I got all dressed up and I'm going before the judge to plead my case, right? And there's this sense of like terror or tremor or anxiety or worry because I deserve the ticket. I was definitely speeding, but I wanted to kind of show me some grace. So there's this sense of, of, of. An anxiety that comes with that, and so on the surface, when we think about ourselves being judged, we don't like that, but we do like a righteous judge because if somebody has wronged us, if somebody's hurt us or a family member, and they're before the judge, we want them to throw the book at them, right? Like, like let's be real. And so there's this sense of judgment does have this side that that we do like, but I think the reason I think the reason when we think about God's judgment, while we have kind of a angst towards it. Is because of what our culture has typically done with the Bible, right? So when we think about judgment, we think about, I like to illustrate with a seesaw. So you got the seesaw, and on one side is all the righteous, good things you've done, and on the other side is all the sinful, bad things that you've done. And we, we're spending our whole life making sure that the righteous side is heavier, that it's down on the ground, right? And as long as once we like die, that righteousness side, as long as it's down, it's the heavier side, then we're good to go. And so what we've done, what we've done is we've taken the Bible and we said, you know what? Well, there's this verse that says I shouldn't lie, and there's this verse that says that... I should uh, read my Bible, pray every day, and I'll grow, 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 right? And, and we got this sense of, of as long as I'm taking this, at uh, this handbook on how I'm supposed to do life, if as long as I obey every little rule, then my righteousness side of the seesaw is going to be lower. And so we have this sense of we going through life and, and we're worried about being judged. So when we go to the, we're, it's all about our behavior and what, how the Bible's this handbook for what we're supposed to do. And the truth is, the Bible is wisdom literature, right? Like it's supposed to tell us how we live our life. But, but it's not in a way of giving us a list of rules and commands we're supposed to follow. The way we're supposed to read our Bible is to absolutely immerse ourselves in it. We read it as a story. We read it as a narrative, as the history of God's people. And we see the instruction that's given is given in context. And we take it, we apply it to our life. And we, we're so immersed in the Bible that it gives us wisdom in how we're supposed to approach life. It's not like a list of rules of do's and don'ts, but it's a list of it's a way of thinking It's a way of living. It's a way of being So the bible is not this a handbook with a bunch of rules that we follow because when we do that We turn god's judgment into just making sure our seesaw is going the right way, but that's not how god works That's not what the judgment day is and what And it goes on and talks about the thief in the night, right? And we think that that this is kind of to bring terror But the point of that is just that we don't know when it's going to happen and when we're children of the day, we're living right, the thief surprises us because we're not expecting it, right? So there's this sense of, as believers, as following Jesus, the judgment day brings three things, and those three things do not include fear. But I think that when we sit back and we say, well, God's going to be our judge, a lot of times fear is the number one thing that pops up because of a, a misapplication of the Bible. But, but it's not about fear. Fear. I mean, judgment brings some serious consequences. Judgment brings some serious weight. But one of those things is not that we're scared to, for God to come back. It's, judgment Day is supposed to be a day of rejoicing and worship for believers because our Savior is coming back to rescue us. He's coming back to redeem the world but that's not the case for so many people that go to church on Sunday. I've been there. When people would talk about judgment and eternity, and that stuff would bring up anxiety in me. Like you don't really want to think about forever, right? But judgment does bring some serious things. And the first thing it brings is revealed sins, right? When Jesus comes back, Luke 12, through three says this, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. On judgment day, when Jesus returns, there will be the revelation of sins, all sins, the deepest, darkest sins, every thought, every idle word, every deed, even deeds done in absolute secrecy will be made known and laid bare. And if you're like me, that that can be a little bit nerve wracking. Like seriously, like just being vulnerable in front of you. There are sins in my past that like three people know about. I've I've confessed to them. Things have been made right. Like I'm forgiven. There's that that's it's been dealt with. But I would never in a million years would want anybody else to know about them. Right? There are sins that that we think that nobody knows about. There are things that happen that are in the, that are done in the most secret place. And the thought of those being laid out bare for for nothing is secret. That's part of that fear that comes from judgment, right? That's that terror that happens. But what I want us to see this morning is that this is actually a good thing. Because when, what's happening, when, when every secret sin is laid bare, it's God, it's Jesus coming back to make things right with the world. Now, the only way to do that is to remove all the secrets. I mean, just think about, think about our broken court system. In 1991, Terry Talley was convicted of four counts of violent sexual assault and given a sentence so long that he would be in jail for the rest of his life. This is a a true story. Fast forward to February of this year, where thanks to help from the Georgia Innocent Project, Talley was exonerated thanks to DNA evidence after spending 40 years in jail. 1981, convicted 40 years years. I'm not even 40 years old, and he was in jail that long, and in February of this year, was able to walk free thanks to DNA evidence. The only Think about the other side of that. Think about the, you know, you got to be careful here because she was found innocent, so I don't want to like, you know, make any judgment, but we, most of us know the Casey Anthony case, right? And we were all like super convinced she was guilty, but she walks free. We think about our court system and how there are people who commit crimes who walk away free and people who are innocent who are thrown in jail that happens because there are secret sins there are crimes which go never that never go punished and there are crimes for which no human punishment even seems adequate but when Jesus returns every sin will be revealed the only way for the things to be made right is for all secrets to be revealed A new creation where wickedness is still allowed to flourish is not a place where we long to dwell. That doesn't bring that hope. That doesn't bring the joy. Love without justice is just sentimentality. That's Timothy, Tenet, Love without justice is not something we long for. As Christians, part of being here on earth, part of dealing with what we're going through is this fixed hope on the one day that all will be made right. And if Jesus doesn't come and reveal all sins, then all can't be made right. So there's this sense, this fear that comes that when we think about our deepest, darkest secret being revealed, but it shouldn't raise up fear. It should raise up joy and worship and praise because we know that this fallen world that we live in, where there's evil and brokenness and Sin, that it will be no more, but the truth is, maybe that doesn't bring peace and hope like it should. Like, yeah, I get it. It's good that all secrets should be revealed, but still, the thought of my secrets, man, it makes my stomach hurt and makes it turn. But the good news is, 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 while the sin sin being revealed is making things right. So the first thing that Judgment Day brings is the re- revelation of sins. The second, things it, the second thing it brings is vindicated faith. See, while the record of sins is not the only book that's talked about in the Bible, there, there's also the record of those who have placed their faith in Jesus. If you've seen the Left Behind uh, documentaries or books or storylines or you've read it or whatever, you've probably have heard about the Lamb's Book of Life, Right? This Lamb's Book of Life where there's the name of all those who have placed their faith in Jesus is written down. See, the church will be vindicated not because it's without sin. We have all fallen short, but because of our perseverance in faith. See, when we talk about the end times, we talk about judgment day when Jesus is returning, we have to see it in its full context. Judgment for, for those who have their faith in Christ, God has already paid that price through Jesus. God made judgment through Jesus taken upon himself the way God through Jesus has taken upon himself the judgment which sinners deserve. the thing that we deserve has already the judgment for those who revealed sins has already been paid that we talk about the revelation if you if you've heard uh pastors talk about the the picture of jesus that's given in the book of revelation right he's it's this manly man coming in on the white horse he's tatted up he's got a sword coming out of his mouth and he's covered in blood right and there's this this triumphant victorious army king jesus and while that's true there's something really interesting about that that the jesus riding on that white horse covered in blood has not yet gone to battle The blood that is covering him is not the blood of his enemies, it's his own blood. He's victorious, he's on the throne because of what he did on the cross. That, That power that he comes in is because he already took on death and death thought it won but it did not. See, his blood has already paid the price for those revealed sins, those things that make our stomach hurt, those things that will keep us awake at night, the shame and guilt. It's already been paid for by Jesus. Your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. So when you go and you're sitting in that courtroom and you're before the judge, the judge says, you know what? Here's all the sins. Here's all the things that should make you be guilty. And you know what the penalty for that is? It's death. And then the judge stands up, comes down off of his seat, takes the handcuffs off of you, puts them on himself, and goes and pays that death penalty for you. There's this sense of Jesus already paid that price. He is the lamb that was slain. We sing about it this morning. He paid the price. Our sins are paid for. We are cleared. The price has been paid. We're vindicated. We're exonerated. We're pardoned. We are free because of what Jesus did on the cross. So Judgment Day doesn't have to bring terror because the the penalty for those revealed sins has already been paid for. Jesus looks at you and he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus because of what he did for us on the cross. But here's the deal. Those who don't accept and follow Jesus, they have to stand before the bar of God's justice and render the full account of their own lives and receive the due penalty for every thought, or deed. So there is this tension that comes for those who don't follow Christ. And I don't say this to try to talk you into following Jesus so that you don't have your day in court. Because here's the deal, the day in court's going to happen. But I want you to follow Jesus because when I talk about your deepest, most secret sins being revealed, and you realize how broken you are, and how much you deserve that death penalty then you realize that you have a God that loves you so stinking much that he paid that death penalty for you? That's why I want you to follow Jesus. That's that's the point. It's not so that we don't have to have the day in court. It's not a fear-based thing. It's not a follow Jesus or he's going to return and you're going to be stuck here during the rapture. No, it's follow Jesus because he gave his life for you. Judgment Day brings the revelation of sins, but it also brings the vindication of the church, of those who have placed their faith in him. And the third thing that it brings is a righteous reward. 1 Corinthians thirteen eleven through 15 says this, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, the judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. But yet, will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. So what's interesting here is it talks about a reward for the labor, for the things we've done for God. But it's not talking about salvation. So so sometimes we don't really want to talk about the fact that there's a there's almost like a reward system. Like God looks at your labor, he looks at how you served him, he looks at how you loved him and that what you did on earth, and there's this reward that comes from that. And we don't know the the details of this reward. We don't know the precise way it was going to be played out. We don't know what the reward is or how it plays out. But the truth is we know there is a reward. And the fact that there is this reward means that God looks at us as followers and he says there's a reward for your kingdom work. And this helps to bring hope. I think about, I think about the excitement that comes with the reward and even not knowing the details of all that it entails um, you know, Addie Lee loves a, a good surprise, right? And you just, you don't even have to tell her what it is. You'd be like, Addie Lee, I got a surprise for you when we get home. And it can like be a picture that you drew for her, or it can be a Power Wheels that cost a bunch of money that you spent for 17 hours putting together, right? Like, there's It doesn't matter what it is. And there's this sense of, oh, when I get home, there's going to be a A reward. There's going to be this excitement. There's going to be, and then what happens is, if it's a long car ride, she's still got that hope. If if she's thirsty or hungry, there's still that hope that when I get home, there's a surprise. And so this reward points. It points to the fact that there is a future hope in Jesus. That when He returns and there's the new heavens and the new earth, it's going to be laid out. There's going to be a prize for us, right? That prize is. Streets of gold, presence of Jesus. Like There's all these different things that play out in Scripture. I encourage you to go look it up, do your own study, read it. But what I want to talk about this morning is that, that there is this hope that there's future reward for laboring for God right now on earth. And man, does that not give us power and encouragement, knowing that as we go out into the world, we're going to face conflict. We're going to face judgment of others. We're going to face people who think, wow, why are you following Jesus? Why do you stand in that way with him? Why do you feel that? Why do you follow his role? Why do you do? There's going to be all these accusations thrown against us, but we know that as we labor and we tell our neighbors about Jesus and we, we tell our friends and our coworkers about Jesus, that no matter what happens, there's a reward as we labor for him. So when we think about this judgment day, we have to understand that that there is a point to it. The point to all of this is is that Jesus, when he returns, our sin's gonna be laid out. Everything is gonna be made right. And that brings hope and joy. We know that there's gonna be vindication for our faith and that brings hope and joy. And we know that, that there's gonna be a righteous reward and that brings hope and joy. See, the thing is, That we as humans, I say especially now, but it's not even just especially now. Every human in the history has been at a place where they really, really needed hope. Whether it's things going wrong at home, whether it's things going wrong in the community or in the politics, in our countries, in our world, we can look around and we can see and feel and know the despair that surrounds us. But when we think about the judgment day and when Jesus returns, we know that we have hope. Not just not just wishful thinking. Not like, man, I can't wait till we get some more help at work or new management. Listen, I know what that's about. It's okay to feel that way, all right? But I'm talking about like real confidence, knowing that whatever's going on right now is not forever. We can know what we're going through right now is not forever forever, because Jesus will return. Jesus will return, and that brings this unending hope and joy, because I know that when he returns, all things will be made right. I'll be vindicated for my faith and my perseverance in Jesus, and I'll know that there's a righteous reward for as I labor for him. The goal for today is that when you sit and you think about the judgment day, that it doesn't bring fear and terror, but it brings awe and wonder, that we can focus on Jesus and we can give him all of our worship and joy, that as you're going through a really terrible time at work or a really terrible time at home, maybe a terrible time in the finances, what kids aren't obeying, whatever frustrations are going on, that we can take time to focus on Jesus and know that he will return, that he is victorious, that he is our king. The judgment day doesn't bring terror, it brings worship. So as you go and you think about, as we recite the creed here in just a minute, and you get to that line, I want you to see that Jesus will return and he will judge the living and the dead. And when he does, it should inspire worship and joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you gave it all. I thank you that you did pay the price, that our sins are covered that even though we have fallen short, that we can look forward to the judgment day because we know, Lord, that our faith in you will persevere. I pray, Lord, that, that as we think about that, and even if we get questions about it in public, as we, as we face our day, the, the fact that we know that there is a bright future, that the best is yet to come, that what we're going through right now is not forever. But Lord, your kingdom, your reign, your power, your glory, it is forever. Let us fix our eyes on that hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's say the creed.